Well, good morning, church. You may be seated. Welcome. If this is your first time, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Reuben, my brother here, uh, is a co-pastor. God has called us as a church to be a church that speaks two languages but shares one hope in Jesus Christ. Um, so incredible the work that he's done in this past year in forming a family uh, that does have multiple cultures, not just two, certainly two languages. Um, but sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. The year was 1808, early America, some 25 miles outside of Boston in a small seminary college that only had two professors at that time. A young man sat reading through accounts of missionaries that had been sent from England to places like India and China. And to his knowledge, there had never yet been an international missionary sent from America. And as he thought about it, he thought, why shouldn't I be the first international missionary sent from America? The young man's name was Adoniram Judson. And, and thoughts of, of aspiration and, and greatness were not a new thing in his life. He, he was somewhat of a prodigy of his time. He's the son of a minister. At age three, he learned to read. At age four, he was found preaching to the kids in his neighborhood. At age 12, he was leading an adult Sunday school class through the book of Revelation in the original language. Days after he turned 16, he entered into Rhode Island College, which, while he was there, would become Brown University. And the faculty there were so impressed by his, his mastery of so many subjects, which, in, which included Latin and Greek, uh, that they just skipped the freshman year. They put him right into sophomore year there at the college. In his time there at the college, he met his best friend, Jacob Ames who was a professing deist. And so by the time that, that Adoniram Judson graduated, um, valedictorian of his class, uh, he was himself professing to be a deist, which means uh, he rejected any kind of supernatural uh, miracles. He, he rejected the Bible as being in anything, an inspired word of God, anything different than any other religious book. He, he certainly rejected the idea of a personal God, most definitely rejected Jesus Christ as God. Much to the dismay of his family, his dad, who was a minister, tried to, to battle what he didn't realize was the case for the son until after he graduated, and, and his son, and, and all of his just, he was so smart and, and brought so many arguments, he just destroyed every argument that his dad could bring against him. Um, and then he went off to, to make something of himself in the world. He went to New York, but there found uh, just failure and, and discouragement. And so leaving New York, God began to work on him and through a series of events was, was working on working on his heart, and he was very unsettled in his thinking as he arrived at this, this inn 
um, and asked for a room. The innkeeper said, we only have one room left, and it's adjacent to this man who's really not doing well. He may not even survive the night. And he said, that's okay, I just need a room. And that night, as he heard people coming and going, and he heard groans on the other side of the partition, in his mind, he was very unsettled, thinking, is that man who is over there prepared to face death? Am I prepared to face death? And, and everything that, that he had come to believe, his whole belief system, didn't answer the question of what you would face after death. It was just a, who knows? Death was an exit in that belief system. He knew his father, considering death, would invite it with open arms. It was an entrance into something greater. But what he had accepted in his belief system left him unsettled. But then as he's wrestling through these thoughts, then he just, he thinks to himself, what would my friends think of me now? The great Adoniram Judson, debater, deep thinker, now wrestling with these, with these shallow thoughts. And, and, and what, what would my friend Jacob Ames think of me now? The next morning as he's checking out, Talking to the innkeeper, he said, how did, how did the man do that was next to me? And he said, well, he died. And a little flustered, um, he's, he didn't know what to say. He said, did you know who it was? And he said, yes. It was a young man from a college in Providence. His name was Ames, Jacob Ames. Adoniram writes that for the next, <laughs> he didn't know how he got through that next three hours. He didn't leave the inn. He faced a crisis of belief. His belief system said that all of those events were just meaningless, random things, that there was no personal God working. And yet, as he comes into this, it became so evident to him that God was real. There was a personal God that, that was making himself real to Adoniram Judson. And his whole belief system now was challenged. And he went home now with a crisis of belief that, that every wall of reason that he had built up didn't fit the experience that he had just had. His dad wasn't able to help him. His dad had already spent every argument that he had. And so Adoniram Judson, now open to conviction, was searching fresh and new what the Word of God had. And, and so then a local... Seminary, uh, about 25 miles outside of, outside of Boston, decided to kind of go against their policy and accept a man who professed to not believe in Jesus Christ and yet had an openness to conviction and was searching desperately to break down these walls that he had built of his own reason. And in his time there at that university, at that seminary, he did come to know the person of Jesus Christ and to give his life to Jesus Christ. And so it's that young man that we see reading these stories of missionaries, still with some of that ambition that, he, that he's had, but now with a life submitted to Jesus Christ, going, could I be that one to be called into international missions, the first from America? But more than those stories of missionaries, there was a particular story that stood out to him that was, that was from a British, um, a British officer who had been sent 
to this, this mysterious empire of Burma. And, and this account from this British officer of, of this land where, where the, the king of Burma just saw himself as this sovereign who's greater than any other in the world and, and a, a rich land full of gold and, and resources and, and people that were a warlike people, but a people that, that they did have a language, they had a written language, um, completely Buddhist, worshiping Buddha as a people. And so... Other thoughts entered his mind. Could I be the first missionary to Burma? And Burma started to grow in his heart. Could I be the first one to bring the word of God into the Burmese language? But it wasn't ambition that ultimately decided him going and committing his life to international missions, specifically to Burma. He wrote, It was during a solitary walk in the woods behind the college while meditating and praying on the subject and feeling half inclined to give it up that the command of Christ, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was presented to my mind with such clearness and power that I came to a full decision. And though great difficulties appeared in my way, resolved to obey the command at all events. What confirmed his calling was not personal ambition, though that still was there. It was the command of his Lord Jesus Christ to go. Felt, understood. This morning, we're looking at the second foundational principle as we're going through the living hope. Living in the hope. The letters of hope representing four foundational principles for us Uh, as a church to thrive for us as individuals in our Christian life. The first one was hearing with faith, H, hearing with faith. Hearing the word of God and and receiving it in faith. That's what what Judson was doing as, as he approached the word of God, open to conviction, inviting the word of God to tear down those walls of reason that he had built up to the point that he could encounter Finally, the person of Jesus Christ in the words of that scripture. That, that, that's hearing with faith. And then the O is obeying by faith. And that's certainly what we see in the example of Judson. As he hears the command of his Lord Jesus Christ to go. And in faith, he follows. That has been the mechanism which has directed churches, it's the mechanism which has directed individuals through the the history of this age that we're in, we're following Christ, we have acted by obeying, obedience that comes out of faith. And that's what we're gonna get into this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do give us your word that can break down the walls of reason that we have built up against you so that we can hear the truth and live in it. God, thank you that that you aren't a distant God, but you're a personal God. And in Jesus, we have a, a relationship that directs us. So God, I pray that you would open our eyes anew by by the truth of your word, that we would open our hearts to receive it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Obedience by faith. 
faith. Faith being the thing that, that it starts with and it generates a life of obedience. What is that faith in? The, the term, or, or having faith, is, is something that's not foreign to our language. And we use it, use it in, in business. You use it in, in a sports uh, situation. Just have faith. Facing some kind of adversity, just have faith. But faith in what? Sometimes it's, it's empty. It's like, have faith that it'll be a good outcome. Well... Okay, but what's going to get me to the good outcome? Just have faith. A lot of times where we direct that um, is, is in ourselves. Just believe in yourself. Have faith in yourself, and that will get you there. I tell you where Christ will lead us, what I have in myself isn't going to get me there. Judson, with his newlywed wife, She's got a whole other story. Did ultimately head out to sea. And their first landing was in Calcutta, India. And they were able to get the first word back of, of what the conditions were in Burma. And it wasn't good. Apparently, what that British officer had experienced, he didn't really realize. He, he thought that his experience was of one of being treated as royalty, of this European coming into this land. What he didn't realize is not understanding their culture is that they were making fun of him. As a European, you'd come in at the bottom. And, and they said uh, the conditions there for, for uh, a male would be like living like a rat and, and don't expect to survive as a female European in that environment. The, the, the rulers in that land, it, the types of things that they would do for the smallest, uh, for the smallest thing, they, they would chop off heads, they would bury people alive, they would torture. They, it, was, it was terrible, the things that they would do for the smallest offense. Everyone said, don't, it's, you can't do missions in Burma. And yet God, over and over again through their circumstance, kept pointing them back to, you need to go to Burma. There's nowhere else to go. When we follow Christ, that faith can't be in ourselves. It can't just be, oh, just have faith in a good outcome. No, everything said it was not going to be a good outcome if you go to Burma. What does our faith need to be in? Paul in Galatians Chapter 2, and verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. My life, I, that one full of ambition of what I'm going to make of myself, he says, that person has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So he says, it's not about me anymore. It's about, it's about Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, that I know personally, him living out through me. And that life that I now live in the flesh. See, we still live in the flesh. Judson there, as he's following the Lord, still dealt with selfish ambition that was the flesh. And we will still deal with the flesh. But that life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith. In what? In Jesus Christ. That's the first point. Our faith. Obedience by faith. That faith is not in me. It's not in uh, a method. It's not in, in following a certain sequence of things to get to an outcome. It's not in just faith in the outcome itself. It is faith in a person, a living person who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
That is the substance of our faith. So we have this principle, obedience by faith. Faith founded in the person of Jesus Christ. What does that obedience look like? You turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. John says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is another way of looking at what it means that the life I now live, I live in the flesh, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we live in the flesh. And there will still be sin. But whenever we sin, what can we do? We can go to Christ. That's what happened in the first chapter of 1 John. It's talking about that we can confess our sins to Christ and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But, but the intent is that we not sin. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. We do sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. He is the propitiation for our sins. That means he's taken the punishment. As we walk and as we find the flesh coming back up again, he has taken the punishment for that already. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him. How do we know that we truly know Jesus, that our faith is in the person of Jesus if we keep his commandments? Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Obedience to Christ is following the example of Christ, walking in the manner in which he walked. What is the example of Christ? Where does that start? Let's look in Matthew real quick where Jesus began his ministry. Matthew chapter three, in verse 13, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee. This is the very beginning of his ministry. Came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus began with baptism. And in that baptism, we saw the Father, and we saw Jesus the Son, and we saw the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, fully represented right there. Jesus, in doing that, set a precedent that all of his followers would follow him, beginning with baptism. And he made it clear in his command, the end of Matthew, before he's ascended back into heaven, Matthew 28 and verse 19, he, he gives the command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We're following, walking in the footsteps of Christ. That's how we begin. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
baptism. What is the significance of baptism? It would be six years in Burma before they had a single convert. It was a big deal for someone who was Burmese to convert to any other religion outside of Buddhism. They, they would face persecution at the least, possibly torture, possibly death. And so baptism signified they're becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. They have rejected Buddhism and they're now following Christ. There was a teacher, um, a local scholar from a, a high family that, that had his own followers there. This Burmese man, um, he would come over and over again to Adoniram and he would say, and, and he'd argue with him and, and, and debate and and. Judson actually kind of enjoyed it because it, it was, he had never found anyone so intellectual like this man who, who would be able to debate through these things. And, and ultimately, there was this time he came and he was debating and all these things. And finally, he stopped and he said, I don't actually believe any of the things that I'm saying. I believe there is a God. I believe in his son, Jesus. And I believe in the atonement. And Judson skeptical said, do you believe everything written in the book of Matthew that I gave him? He had translated the book of Matthew at that time. Specifically, do you believe that Jesus died on a cross? He knew where this man was coming from. He said, well, you got me there. I, can, I can't take that one. Because for a, for a Burmese, especially one uh, of a high birth, to consider that God would subject his son to such a disgraceful death was unheard of. He couldn't believe that. And so Judson responded, well, then you're not a true disciple of Jesus. Because a disciple of Jesus, he said, doesn't ask if a fact is agreeable to his own reason. He asks, is it in the word of God? So he said, gently, let go of your pride, teacher and submit to the testimony of God's word. And after a little bit of conversation, the, the teacher said, I think I see what you're saying. I understand, yes, I have not been submitting to God's word. He, you, you know, Justin was, was pulling from his own experience in this, of, of diving into God's word to break down his own reasoning and encouraging this man to do the same. And after some more conversation, uh, the teacher says, I think I should not be lost even though I should die suddenly. Judson says, why? He says, because I love Jesus Christ. Do you really love him? He said, no one that really knows him can help loving him. This Burmese wise teacher was beginning to know the person of Jesus Christ. And, and it would be still some time of him working, just as Justin did, through his own walls of reason to be able to accept Jesus as his Lord, to put his faith into that person who he was coming to love. And, and Judson was gentle in that process because he realized it wasn't just the same experience that Judson had, but he also faced, especially as a teacher, especially of one high-born, 
the reality that if he was to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, he would face persecution. He would face torture. He would probably have to go into hiding for his life. But then there was a day ultimately where he came to Judson. Judson could tell that there was a difference. He said, I'm ready to follow Jesus. And he said, are you really? Meaning, you ready to be baptized? Yes. In public, private, doesn't matter. Right now, another time, public, private. I am ready to follow Jesus. And so he was baptized. Even though we don't face the same thing they faced in Burma, when we step out and obey our Lord in baptism, the significance is still there. We are obeying the command of our Lord and Savior to be baptized. And the symbolism in baptism represents that faith in the person of Jesus Christ. We're basically saying, right along with Galatians 2.20, as I'm buried in that water, I have been crucified with Christ. That old person, that old, for Judson, that old Adonai or Judson, that old David, that whoever, that old, that person who was walking in the flesh, walking in darkness, has been put to death with Christ. And now, just as Christ was raised from the dead, I, have been, I am now raised to new life where it is Christ living through me. My life is now to follow Jesus, my Lord. So the first step is baptism. What is, what follows? The commandment of Christ. It began with baptism. It said, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. What is the command of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let's continue in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. The commandment of Christ has been there. It, it was there in the law that was given to the Israelites. It, it is, you could say it was there from the foundations of the world. Once you come to understand what this commandment is. But certainly it was there in the law. But he says also at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This commandment that was there from the beginning has a new quality to it because of this concept of light and darkness. And, and if, if you go back into chapter 1 of John and, and get what he's talking about light and darkness, the light is attributed to God. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And the darkness is attributed to sin. It is, it's our sin. And so the light is here. The light is is Jesus Christ who comes from the Father who is light. And that sin is this progress of it, it, it's passing away. That's what we've been talking about is this experience of living in the flesh, yes, but living in the grace of God and in the forgiveness of God, and now there is real light that we abide in with Christ. And so now this commandment is new and has new quality because before it was a commandment to those living in darkness and all it served to do was to expose the darkness. But now, to those who are walking in the light, we own that and we live in it. What is the commandment? 
Well, he doesn't say it specifically in these next verses that follow, but I think you'll get the idea. See if you can't tell what that commandment is. It says in verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The commandment is love. We see that more, more explicitly in the next chapter in John, 1 John chapter 3. In verse 23, it says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. To love one another. To follow Christ, any time we are submitting to his direction in our life, it will always involve love as defined by God. What does that love look like? How do we know that love? Because love is a confusing thing in the world that we live in. We know that if we go back just a few verses in verse 16, chapter 3. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. It's always going to involve laying down our lives for each other. When Adoniram Judson was submitting to God's direction, in his life to go to a distant land. It was a one-way trip. He was laying down his life, his young wife, and considering whether she would marry this man who had already committed to go for life. She was laying down her life to the purpose of love that God had to bring the gospel to a people who hadn't been reached yet. It will always involve love. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's physically laying down our life every time, that it's going to a distant land every time. And we have an example here that's probably more often the case. It says in verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? There's a very practical example. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. To love. Adoniram Judson, at the end of his life, um, he had translated the whole Bible into the Burmese language. He had endured terrible hardship. Um, there was a time he was, he was imprisoned in Ava, the capital. And, and his wife had, had followed there and found a place that she could live while he was there imprisoned and she was daily petitioning to guards and putting her own life at risk. He went into prison while she was pregnant. She had the baby while he was imprisoned. And, and while he's in there dealing with terrible torture, she's just, she's finding all of the, any relationship she can, petitioning, putting her own life at risk to find someone she can bribe, give money to, anything to at least 
release the torture that he was being tortured with and to ease his torture and to move him to another location. And, and in that time, the New Testament at that time that he had, that he had translated, uh, the papers of it and everything were stuffed into a pillow that he had in that place. And, the, and, and ultimately, everything shifted. They got moved to a new location. The pillow was gone. He didn't know if all of his life work was gone, that everything that he had done was it just for nothing and yet, he continued to submit to the purpose that God had put for him. And God, in his, in his sovereign hand, he protected what had been in that pillowcase. He brought about the purpose that he had to work through the life of Adoniram Judson, who again and again submitted to the guidance and, and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, trusting that God was directing them and doing what God had said. And ultimately, yes, they did reach a point of, of translating the whole Bible into Burmese. And, and in that, over his life, he buried his, first, he buried his wife to, to sickness that she contracted there. And, and he remarried, and, and he lost that wife too. Many of the children that he had, they lost in those conditions. He remarried a third time, and it was... It was at the end of his own life, having contracted an illness, facing the end of his life, that his primary concern, what he, what he daily talked to his wife about in her account of, of what, what would just burden of his heart is that he needed to come to a place where he felt like he truly loved his brothers, loved his wife and his children and those that Christ loved so much and gave himself for in a way that was the way that Christ wanted him to love. And it was very near the end of his life that she says, he finally said, I have a peace. That God's put it on my heart that I do love in the way that he wants me to love. <laughs> I don't know anybody's story of a person who, who more exemplifies the love of Christ and for him at that point to still be so burdened that he needed to love as Christ loves. What would our church be like? What would, what would our impact on this community be like if that was such a burden on each of us that we love as our Lord would have us love, that we walk in faith to every direction that he'd give us to work out what is he doing in us. He's working out his love through us. That is his purpose that he's working through us. As we walk, as he walked, we are walking in the purpose that he walked in, which is to love, to call sinners to salvation and to love the body of Christ. He is our living hope. We have so much hope in Jesus Christ. I don't know where you're at this morning. Potentially, you're in a place where, where Adoniram Judson was, where that teacher was, where you're still sorting things out in your own mind, who this Jesus is, and faith is still something you work through. I am so excited that you are listening and that you're a part of this. I hope that this is a place where people feel like they can come and sort out faith, to work through and hear in faith and, and break down those barriers of of our own reason that we've built up and hear the truth of God's word. It's possible that you have placed your faith in Christ, but, but either because you haven't understood or, or for whatever reason, you haven't followed him in baptism. 
I'd encourage you to come talk to somebody. You can put that on a, on a piece of paper. We'd love to have you follow the Lord in baptism if you haven't done that yet. Perhaps you're following the Lord now, and just as I have been, be encouraged. Why are we here? Why? The why of our life, why do we get up in the morning? It's to walk in obedience and faith in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sing about the living hope that we have in Christ. God, you are our living hope. God, in you is life. You have set us free. And so, God, I just pray that you would help us as we, as we want to live in obedience, faith in you, God, that you would open our eyes to see our brothers and sisters, to see the people around us through your eyes so that we can take up your cause to love as you have loved, to love with the intent that you love with, to love with the purpose that you're loving towards. God, there is a joyous, joyous hope and future that we look forward to and we share that with our brothers and sisters. God, let your joy be set deep within our hearts as we live out this next week. We love you and we praise you. It's your holy name that we pray. Amen.